Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. We're going to head and jump right in because there is a a lot to cover today, and today's very heavy, and you will understand why as soon as we get into this. Um, But if you were here last week, uh, we left, I'm hoping, and my prayer was, is that we left feeling encouraged, uplifted, full of hope. And for me, I wish you could see what I see because there's a lot of times that I get to see whether what the word is speaking, if it resonates with you or not. And last week, it was very evident that it did because there was a lot of, there was a lot of tears in the room last week. And I'm trusting that they were, they were tears of joy Because the general theme of last week was that we were reminded that no matter what chaos we're living in, that Jesus is coming again and that our hope is found in Christ and Christ alone. That's it. And it's almost as some of us last week, you know, we've all experienced getting that overwhelming good news. I remember when I was in college that when I was getting ready to graduate and you were holding on by just a prayer that you passed that last test to graduate. Yeah, that was me. And I remember being on that phone waiting to hear what the answer was gonna be. It was either gonna be or yay. But praise God, it was yay. But as I was so overwhelmed with concern, immediately when I heard the news, I was overwhelmed with joy. You know, there's many of you that have experienced that maybe in the medical world. If, if you were waiting on a diagnosis to come and and maybe in your mind, you, you were overwhelmed with concern of bad news. And then on the other side of the line, you get the good news that you're cancer free. And then all of a sudden, you're overwhelmed with joy. Well, that was kind of the response last week. Maybe some of us are bogged down. Maybe some of us have lost loved ones. Or maybe even some of us have just been discouraged when we look at the world around us. But when we were reminded last week that Jesus is coming again, we were overwhelmed with joy, and it produced those, those tears of joy. You know, this whole week as I've been preparing, I couldn't help but to think, and this is how simple-minded I am, was all week I've just been thinking of a coin. I've been thinking of a coin all week, and every time that I would look and study what we were gonna be looking at today, I, this, I kept going back to this coin because last week what we talked about was one side of the coin, It was great news. If you're the football team that calls heads and it lands on heads, praise God, that's good news. But what we do know is that it is according to this coin, they're not heads on both sides. That if one side wins, then another side loses. And so that determines the heads and the tails, but but praise be unto God that our faith is not based on the flip of a coin. Our faith is not based on what side of the coin that we land on, so to speak. God gives us the ability to choose and to follow which side of the coin that we wanna be on. 
And so what we're going to look at today is, is we're going to talk about the other side of the coin. And I want you to hear my heart in this because I love you enough to talk about the other side of the coin. I can be honest, it would be a whole lot easier if we just got to talk about the good news all the time. If we just got to talk about the, the winning side of the coin, that would be so much easier. Everybody would love me. You wouldn't be upset, you wouldn't be angry. But I want you to understand that I love you enough to talk about the other side of the coin. I love what Paul says in the book of Acts. It says that, that he didn't avoid declaring the whole plan of God. It would be a lot easier if we could avoid preaching the whole plan of God. If we just got to pick and choose what we wanted to talk about. But that's the challenge of, of preaching through a book of the Bible. We don't get to skip around. We have to address the hard topics. We have to address the hard things. And because of these difficult things, there's, there's many nights that, that I don't sleep. Because I'm concerned about how hard the truth is going to be to hear. And I'm also burdened and concerned making sure how, how hard it is sometimes to communicate the truth because I just wanna make sure that it resonates in everybody's heart and everybody's soul. But that's what these last several weeks have been like. That's what they've been about because there have been some very hard truths. There's been some very hard truths that we have had to address but I want you to hear a heart in that is that we're not going to avoid the whole plan of God. We're gonna to stick to the truth of God's word and we're gonna preach it. And if it offends you, it's God's word, it's not mine. And so I just want you to hear a heart in that, but I love you enough to offend you. I love you enough to pray that the word of God does offend you. Because when it offends us, that brings conviction and conviction brings repentance. And so that's what I hope you hear our heart in that today. But what we're gonna do today is we're gonna talk about the other side of the coin. I want you to flip to 1 Thessalonians chapter five. 1 Thessalonians chapter five, and we're gonna read verses one through eight. Now look, we're gonna be referencing a lot of scripture today um, because there's a lot of things that I could define just in my own mind or my own language but there's no clearer way to define what the word is saying by defining it by what the word says. And so that's what we're gonna do today. But I want you to read with me in verses one through eight of chapter five. Now as to the times and the epics, some of your Bibles may say seasons there. Brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord, I want you to highlight, underline the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. 
God, I pray that you would just, you would speak. God, that if it's not of your spirit today, that you would shut my mouth. But God, that your spirit would lead today. And God, I pray that this word would cut sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, if there's someone here in this room, God, that doesn't know you, that you, God, that you have a burden to know, but they've never trusted in you. God, I pray that today would be that day. So God, use us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the first phrase that we look at in verse one is what I would call, this is sort of the flipping of the coin. If you look at verse one, it says, now as to the times and epics, he's saying, now we're about to flip the other side of the coin. We've just finished talking about the good news. Now as for the other side, that's what he's doing. He's turning the page right here in this letter. And because if you remember last week, we talked, everything was, was great. Everything was glorious. And we, we looked at verses like verses 16 and 17 of chapter four. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, with a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And so for us as the believers, this is what this is what brought the tears of joy. This is what brought the excitement. This is what brought peace last week. But what we're gonna look at this week is, is a great contrast. Is a great contrast as to what we talked about last week. You know, the unbelievers are gonna feel something totally different at the time of his return. The unbeliever is gonna experience something totally different than what you as a believer, what I myself as a believer will experience. But there's such a, a, a comparison, there's such a contrast. We're gonna compare two things today. We're gonna to compare what this day looks like, what this day represents, but then we're also gonna compare and contrast two different groups of people. But when we look at the comparison, last week for the believer, we heard that, that God will bring with him those who are fallen asleep. We heard the Lord himself will descend. We heard things like meet the Lord in the air. We heard things like we will always be with the Lord. And this led us to tears of joy. But on the other side of the coin, now as the reason I ask you to underline the day of the Lord is because the day of the Lord means something totally different. The day of the Lord means something totally different. Now here again, we get into that debate or that discussion, if you would, of where scholars, they try to figure out exactly when this day of the Lord will happen. And as we said last week, we can all give our opinions, we can all give our interpretations of when we think it's gonna happen, but the reality is, does the timing of it really matter that much? But the reality is we know the day of the Lord is coming. It doesn't matter when, it doesn't matter the timing of all the events taking place, but one thing that we are rest assured to know is that according to the scripture, the second of coming of Christ is gonna happen and the day of the Lord is gonna happen. We're not really gonna care about all the details when both of those things occur. But some scholars believe that, that the day of the Lord will actually be the same day as the second coming of Christ. 
But then there's the other side that talk about that they believe that it'll be that the day of the Lord will occur sometime further down the road from the second coming of Christ. But there's one thing that I wanna make clear is that when you read the Old and the New Testament, don't get the day of the Lord confused with some of those days that sound very similar. Here's some examples. You're gonna read all throughout the scriptures, the day of Christ, the day of Christ Jesus, the day of the Lord Jesus. You're gonna hear something, things that sound very similar to the language of the day of the Lord. But what I want you to know today is that the day of the Lord has its own definition. It has its own meaning. And this is the example that when we look at the day of the Lord, it's mentioned 19 times in the Old Testament. It's mentioned four times in the New Testament. And so the best way to define what is the day of the Lord, the best way to define that is to look in the scripture. I'm gonna read Joel chapter two, verses one and two. And this is gonna be the reference. You can write these down. You don't have to turn there right now. But Joel chapter two, verses one and two. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. Here's the definition of it. Here's what it's gonna look like. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. And as the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and a mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there ever be anything after it to the years of many generations. Joel chapter three, verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes. This is a cry. This is a call. In the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. In Isaiah Chapter 13, Isaiah chapter 13, verse six. It says, well, for the day of the Lord is near. Now, the definition of well there, it literally means to weep and express audibly sorrow. To express sorrow audibly. So when someone is wailing, it's not good, okay? So that's what he's saying in verse six there. He says, well, for the day of the Lord is near and it will come as destruction, from the Almighty. Now look, here's what I have to make sure we understand, that destruction doesn't mean physical annihilation of the individual. Because if that was the case, then there would really be nothing to fear because if, if God's wrath wasn't real, if there wasn't a side of destruction, then, then really if we were just destroyed, would there be any purpose in following Christ because it would be over. But the reality is, is when it talks about this, this truth of destruction, it is not a physical annihilation, but what it is, is an eternal separation. It's eternal separation. It's eternal torment, which is the exact opposite of being in the presence of the Lord. And that's what we mentioned last week, that what makes heaven heaven is not the streets of gold, the pearly gates, but it's the presence of Jesus resides there. What makes heaven hell is not the burning and the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, but what makes hell hell is the absence of Jesus, the absence of God. That is why we wail, that, not we, that is why those who don't know him would wail. That's why they would moan. That's why they would groan as this day of the Lord happens because it's not good. 
So understand that that destruction is not talking about total annihilation, physically, spiritually, everything. We're all going to live forever, but the question is, is where will eternal life be spent? And so when we hear that, I don't think there's any more definition that we need to read in reference to the day of the Lord, because I don't know about you, but this is not good. There's a whole lot more scriptures that we could read that can help us better understand that picture, but I don't know that it's necessary because of what we've just read. And so what I want you to think about is not necessarily when this is going to happen, but the day of the Lord is going to happen. And I would be led to believe according to those definitions that we've just read from the scripture In my opinion, I don't believe this is gonna happen on the day of the second coming of Christ because it's a glorious day. It's a glorious day. And so if we were reading the way the text reads, then some believe that this could be happening at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And so, but really, as we mentioned a moment ago, does the timing of all that really matter? It's open for opinion. It's open for debate. But the reality is, is the second coming is coming and the day of the Lord is coming. And so as we continue to read in the text of of how Paul paints the picture of this day of the Lord, he also references it as it's coming as a what? A thief in the night. A thief in the night. Now, I don't know about you, But that's not something I'm real excited about. If there's a thief coming at my house at night, it's not gonna end well for me or him. It's not something that I'm gonna have hope in. It's not something that I'm gonna find joy in. And this is why I would argue I don't believe that the day of the Lord is gonna happen on the day of the second coming. Because we know that a thief in the night is is not good news. And if we know that there's a thief coming in the night in our homes, we're gonna be sitting on the edge of our seat, potentially scared to death. Scared to death because of what is to come. This is such a horrifying event. Three times in scriptures, it's referenced as the day of vengeance. This is in reference to God's wrath on those who don't believe on those who don't trust and place their faith in the finished work of what Jesus Christ has done. So what we've seen thus far is that there's a huge contrast between the second coming of Christ and the day of the Lord. There's two sides of the coin. One side is great news. The other side is horrific news. Because one side means everlasting hope while the other side means everlasting destruction. Everlasting separation from a God who loves you. You say, well, I'm not a believer. There's no way God loves me. Yes, he does. He created you. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He died whether you were gonna follow him or not. That's how much he loves you. And I know some of you, you get upset when we, when we talk about hell, but here's the, the problem is churches are not talking about hell anymore because we all want to make everybody think it's so easy and that God loves everyone and, and everyone's going to go to heaven whether you choose or not. That's not what the Bible says. 
You're gonna be on one side of the coin. And I know you're going, well, Brian, you're just trying to scare people to death. You're just trying to scare people to death. Well, what the church needs to do is wake up and get back to scaring people to death. The church needs to get back to understanding that without Christ, there is no hope. And I know that you may be sitting there going, well, you're just scaring people. You're just trying to make somebody make a decision. Yeah. <laughs> I ain't gonna hide from it. It's the same example that we used a few weeks ago. If all of a sudden our phones all went off and there was a weather alerts going off, that there's a tornado headed right down Highway 53 and its next stop is Chestnut Mountain Church. Are you all gonna sit here and just go, <laughs> no. You're gonna go hide. You're gonna seek refuge. You're gonna try to find security. And so this morning, if this message scares you, if this message right now is causing just this pit in your gut, my prayer is that you don't just raise your hand to make a decision, but my prayer is, is that you will seek refuge and security in Christ and Christ alone. Because we know that if we come to him, guess what? He's gonna receive you unto himself. And so yes, I pray that you're scared not just to manipulate in you into making a decision, but that, that fear will be used to understand that I don't have to fear if I run to the one who died for me. We read the passage in Psalms 46 that he is our refuge and our strength. He's our present help in time of trouble. And I pray that you would make him that this morning. I pray that you would make him that refuge and that strength. And you say, well, that's just, a, that's just kind of a get out of hell free card. When you realize that God receives you unto himself in your current condition, that's what causes us to fall in love with him because he has no business loving us in our current condition. He has no business still loving me in my current condition. But in spite of who I am, in spite of my sin, the father loves me anyway. And that is the message for everyone here. And when he provides that security, when he provides that hope, there's peace in that. There's joy in that. And so today, maybe this is gonna spark some fear. Maybe it's gonna spark some curiosity. My prayer has been for you. I was sitting on my back porch this morning praying for you that you would run to him today. But if you don't run to him right now, you're doing the very same thing that the unbelievers in Thessalonica were doing. Look at verse three. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with a child and they will not escape. You see, to make sense of what they're meaning when they're saying peace and safety, they may be saying what some of you in this room are saying right now, oh, I'll be fine. Don't worry about it. This isn't really gonna happen. This is just some, some wives' tale. This, this is not truth. Can I tell you, 
There's coming a day, it doesn't really matter what you think. It doesn't matter what your opinion is because the wrath of God will be poured out. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. The same as giving birth to a child. I've never experienced it, but I hear about it a lot. But those birth pains are leading to the inevitable. Those birth pains are leading to what is coming. I think we can all testify that we are experiencing some birth pains on planet earth right now. This is all pointing to the day of the Lord. This is all pointing to the second coming of Christ. And it doesn't matter how strong and opinionated you are, you can't stop it. The same as the birth pains mean a child is coming. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. It's coming. And so no matter where you stand, no matter what your opinion is, there's coming a day that according to the truth of God's word, that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Everybody's gonna know one day. But what side of the coin will you be on? What side of the coin will you be on? And so we've seen thus far that, that Paul is comparing these, these two days. That there's a big difference in these two days. The second thing we're gonna look at is him comparing these two groups of people. And what you're gonna see is literally, even in his language, you're gonna see a difference of night and day. You're gonna see a difference of night and day between an unbeliever and a believer. An unbeliever is referenced to by night and the believers are read to by day. And the difference is, is the unbelievers are consumed by darkness while the believers are consumed by light. But first we're gonna look at the unbeliever. The one who doesn't trust Jesus, the one who has not placed their faith in the finished work of what he's done, the ones who fear the return of Christ, the ones who should fear the day of the Lord. Look at verse seven as we see them described. For those, you notice he uses the pronoun there, those, which separates them from the family of God. It doesn't separate them by their choice, but it separates them because they've not chosen to follow Christ. So the word there, those, means that they're not part of the family of God. And you'll see a pronoun he uses a little bit different in just a little while. But he goes on to say in verse seven, for those who sleep do their sleeping at night. And those who get drunk get drunk at night. Now, it's interesting that Paul uses their actions to kind of describe who they are. And the two actions that he uses, the two verbs that he looks at is he, he uses the word sleep. Now, understand, here's where we gotta be very careful. This word sleep does not reference the word sleep that we talked about last week. When we talked about sleep last week, they had fallen asleep. It was meaning those who had physically died. In the context of this scripture, what the word sleep means is it means those who are living in moral darkness. The unbeliever lives as if they're sleeping. They live in such a place that they're willingly living in sin and there's no conscience, there's no guilt, there's no shame. They are proud of their sin and they have no, no desire to do anything else but they're willingly living in the sin. They're willingly living in this lifestyle and they're comfortable there. 
So that's what the word sleep means. The word drunk means those who are controlled or influenced by the world. Those who are controlled or influenced by the world. Now, the reason that Paul uses sleep and drunk, because even obviously in our day and age, even in our culture, when do we usually sleep? At night. And even in this culture, even for those religious people that would get drunk, they wanted to do it under the cover of darkness so that no one knew. And so the two events that they have chosen are things that are done in darkness, things that are done at night. But what that helps us to understand that for the unbeliever, for the ones who are sleeping, living in sin, the ones who are are drunk or being influenced by the world, they have no concern about what's coming tomorrow. They're only living for that present night. They're only living for that present moment. They're living in that moment and they're happy there because they're not worried about tomorrow. They're not worried about the future. They're just happy right where they're at. And that's what Paul wants us to understand is that right where we're at, even in our context, in our present time, if we look to the world, there is no hope. If we look around us and and our only hope is that things are gonna get better, it ain't gonna happen. We may see seasons of things getting better, but according to the text, it's gonna get worse. But that's the heart of an unbeliever is they don't really care about what's gonna happen because they're only concerned with the moment. And for those who don't believe, they realize that there is no hope. That their only future is not in things getting better, but their only hope that they could have was was in Christ and Christ alone. And there's gonna come a day that they realize that they, they had that option. They had that option. And so if you're, if you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, you've never trusted, you've never placed your faith in Christ, maybe you think, my goodness, this is my last Sunday going there. That's the most hopeless news I've ever heard. I hope it is. I hope it is the most hopeless news you've ever heard. And I hope that God will use that to cultivate and soften your heart that this doesn't have to be how it turns out. But maybe you're the unbeliever that's sitting there, or you're the believer, sorry, you're the believer sitting there and you're going, praise God, that ain't me. I believe in all that stuff, so praise God, the day of the Lord, I'm good. Shame on you if that's our heart. Because the reality is that according to the scripture, according to your testimony, you once lived in darkness. You were once where the unbeliever is right now in this moment. But somehow along your journey, you heard this horrific news. And praise God, whether it was through the reading of his word or through his faithful saints of God who preached truth, your eyes were opened to the hope. Your eyes were opened to the light of Christ. Your eyes were opened to the hope that you have in him and him alone. 
And if you've been saved by grace through faith, that's your testimony today. That you were once in the darkness, but because of the grace of God, you are now in the light. You've experienced this transformation process. And praise God that you recognize the horrific news. But praise God, you also heard the good news. And we read so many examples of, of this testimony. Ephesians 5, 8, they're gonna be on the screen. You don't have to turn there because I'm gonna fly through them. Ephesians 5, 8, for you were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. If you're a believer here this morning, that's your testimony. You were in darkness. You had no hope, but the Son of God rescued you from that darkness. And so instead of sitting here going, whoo, I praise God I'm not like the unbelievers, we've got to get back to be burdened for the unbeliever. If we're not going to tell them the good news, who is going to tell them the good news? If we're not gonna tell them about this hope, then who's gonna tell them of this hope? If you've been saved by the grace of God, it is your responsibility, it is my responsibility to preach and teach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a mandate for all of us, because I know you can look at me and you, well, that's your job, you're a preacher. If you've been saved by the grace of God, you're all preachers. You're all messengers of the gospel. You've been given the good news to tell it. It's not good news unless you're talking about it. So what we've got to do as his church is we've got to talk about the good news. But once we were rescued from the darkness and we were placed in this marvelous light, there should be a big difference. There should be a big difference. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 6, and then verse 8, it talks about the difference of a believer versus that of an unbeliever. Verse 5 and 6, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not, we are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Verse eight, but since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put off the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. You know, what's encouraging, was encouraging for me, maybe you don't struggle with temptation like I do, but when Paul challenges them in verse eight, but since we, there's the pronoun again where he's including the family of God, he begins to speak to them of putting what we know as the full armor of God. 
that we read about in Ephesians 6, we talk about this, this full armor of God. And the reason that we put that full armor on is so that when we face temptation, when we face trials, we have the ability to overcome it. So as we've talked about for the last several weeks, just because you're saved by the grace of God doesn't mean temptation goes anywhere. But Paul is saying, look, we, we are in this battle together. And that's encouraging to me that the man who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he struggles with temptation the same way I do. And as a result of the struggle with temptation, he says, here's what we have to do. We've gotta be disciplined in the Lord. We've gotta be disciplined. We've gotta put on this full armor of God so that we can fight, so that we can battle. Because according to what Paul has just written to them, he says, we don't live like those do at night. Meaning that we don't sleep, which means that we, as believers, that we don't comfortably live in sin that we don't actively pursue sin, that we don't actively live in it and are comfortable there. Because if you're anything like me, now that the Holy Spirit of God lives in me, when I'm tempted, when I happen to step over in and that temptation births sin, I don't know about you, but it is very uncomfortable. It's miserable because the Holy Spirit in you is at war with your flesh. The Holy Spirit in you, that's the signal as to what you're doing is not what a child of God should do. So we don't live in this place of sleep. We don't actively live in it. We're not getting drunk, which means we're not influenced by the world. It means that we've gotta be sober, that we've gotta be alert, which means we gotta be paying attention to what's going on around us. We've gotta recognize who the enemy is. We've gotta recognize what the schemes of the enemy are about. And Paul is saying, look, we have gotta do this together. We're gonna face these temptations, but we've got to keep fighting. And so as we get ready to wrap the morning up. There's someone in this room today that's in darkness. There's one, someone in this room that, is, that hasn't trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That hasn't placed your faith in him, that hasn't repented of your ways and said, you know what, I'm just gonna trust God. This whole thing doesn't make sense to me. This seems so far-fetched. This seems so unbelievable. Can I tell you, I'm right there with you. But I believe it because it's the truth of God's word. But if you're here today in darkness, I want you to know that I share this horrific news with you. Number one, because it's what I'm called to do. But also I want you to recognize this horrific news so that it makes the good news that much sweeter. You say, well, Brian, I, I know I'm in darkness now. When I hear of this day of the Lord, that scares me to death. That scares me to death. And what my heart has been for you this week is to see you like Jesus does. And when Jesus saw the people, he had what? Compassion on them. 
He loved them. So the other reason I share this with you is because I love you. But what you need to do is praise God that you recognize this today is horrific news. Praise God that there's a pit in your stomach right now that is causing so much uncertainty of this day of the Lord. Can I tell you, if, if there's fear there right now, can you just entertain me enough to even hear this, that in that fear, in that pit in your stomach, that is God Almighty whispering to you, my child, I love you. My desire is not for you to experience that day. My desire is for you to leave here this morning with hope. With hope that only comes by the way of my son, Jesus. Believing in him, that his death was for you, but that his resurrection was also for you. And as he closes out chapter five, or not chapter five, but this section of chapter five. If you're an unbeliever today, you can, you can have the same hope. In verses nine and 11, nine through 11, for God has not destined us, the family, for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. So whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another. Build up one another, just as you are also doing. That's our hope. That is our hope this morning. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. 
We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.